Who wants to hear some great news today? Yeah. Well, you know, um, they say nothing, nothing good comes cheap, right? So we're going to wade through the, through the mud a little bit today. Just so you know, uh, the topic for today, um, we're going to be talking about one of the things that I believe is, I think, far and above the most debilitating thing that we, we struggle with as believers. And I think all humans struggle with this. Um, there's been studies done that have, they, they've asked people, why don't you want to go to church? And over 30% of all people say, I don't want to go to church because I feel too much shame. Shame. Shame is a liar. Shame is a big, fat liar. And we're going to dispel some of those lies today. We're going to have to, like I said, we're going to have to kind of go into the weeds a little bit. Um, just just a warning. Um, you know, I, I always want the main goal that I have for each and every person that walks in here or that hears these messages is that you would have hope in Christ. So sometimes, you know, you have to go through some rough stuff to get there. So I just wanted to give you a little forewarning. Um, we all, I think, deal a little bit with shame at some, in some form or another. And if you don't deal with shame at all, you might want to examine whether or not you're a psychopath. <laughs> just a possibility. <laughs> um, we all, we've all struggled with shame. It's something that is it's rampant in our culture, in our society. Uh, there's, there's just so many lies. And so we're going to talk about the lies shame tells and how to be free of them. You've all heard of the walk of shame. Anybody ever heard of that? Anybody ever done the walk of shame? Yeah. Remember college? Anybody? <laughs> I did the walk of shame too many times. Um, you've heard the saying, you should be ashamed of yourself shame on you have you no shame or one of the worst I am so ashamed of you it's terrible to hear that isn't it I want to define shame you know we're in a series now called freedom simply called freedom and it's based on the promises in Isaiah 61 Isaiah 61 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible and it and I'm going to define shame here we're going to define what shame is so that we understand how to get set free from shame Isaiah 61 7 has an amazing promise it says instead of your shame there will be a double portion instead of dishonor they will rejoice in their lot therefore in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They will have everlasting joy. Isn't that a great promise? Instead of your shame, you're going to have a double portion. You're going to have everlasting joy. That sounds like a deal to me. So there's, there are several different types of shame. There are several root causes for why we fall into shame. Um, unrequited love. You know, you love someone, they don't love you back. Makes you feel shame. Exclusion, you know, you're, uh, imagine your days on the playground as a kid, you know, and all the kids are huddling up and playing and they leave you out. That can be a, a root cause of shame. Um, disappointment, 
you, don't, you didn't get the promotion at work that you thought you would get, or you're not at the stage of life that you thought you would be at this particular season of your life. You feel that disappointment. It can lead to shame. Um, you're, something gets exposed. You know that you have, you have some secret or some, something that, that you're not particularly happy about, you're embarrassed about it, and it gets exposed. That can lead to shame. Um, and also just your own secret sins the sins that you're not bringing into the light. They can really create a lot of shame. Um, there's internally motivated shame. There's shame that comes from within us, but then there's also externally motivated shame, which is, which is placed upon us by others. And we'll kind of talk about that and define that a little more clearly later. But I want to just say this. Without exception, shame is a bully. Shame is an unrelenting bully. We're going to talk about the difference between guilt, shame, condemnation, conviction. Um, shame can be super unhealthy if it's not resolved. Shame can be the thing that holds you back from receiving God's love, God's promises, receiving the love of others. Shame can be the thing that, that prevents you from becoming fully who you were created to be. And so today... How many of you want to be set free completely? Yeah? Every hand should go up. If your hand isn't up, I have to just question <laughs> why. Maybe you're just too tired. Um, in A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, he talks about the, the, the brother and sister, guilt and shame. And he talks about, um, he's, he's saying this to, what's his name? The, what's his name? Kravich. What's his name? I can't remember. Anyway. Anyway, but he says this, beware them both, both guilt and shame. The spirit says, but most of all, beware the boy, which is shame. He says, for on his brow, I see that which is written doom, unless the writing be erased. He's saying that ultimately shame will lead to your doom. Shame will lead to something that can, can completely wreck you and completely destroy you. There is a research professor named Dr. Brene Brown. She's a social worker and an author. She has, she's been pretty famous on TED Talks. She, she actually did a talk on vulnerability, and she ended up kind of breaking down in the middle of it, and, and that was a kind of an aha moment for her. Here she was doing a TED Talk, and then she ended up, she has been studying shame. And she talks about the effects of shame. And this is what she says. I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. In fact, I think shame is much more likely to be the source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or the cure. I think the fear, and get this now, the fear of disconnection can make us dangerous. That is ultimately what shame wants to do. It wants to carve you away from other people. It wants to carve you away from relationship. It wants to carve you away from the love of the Lord and the love of other people. That is what it is. It's a fear of that disconnection. And, it's, and she says she believes it can make us dangerous. She says this, speaking of the addiction that Cynthia was talking about, and by the way, if you have never heard Cynthia Wyatt's story, you have got to hear it. it I mean, it's one of those made for... TV testimonies. It's amazing. But this is what Dr. Brene Brown says. Shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, 
depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, and eating disorders. Isaiah 54, 4 says, Fear not, you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. You will forget the shame of your youth. I want to tell you some of shame's lies. Like I said, shame is a liar. Shame is a liar. And if you are plagued by one or any of the following lies, I know there are a lot more, but these, these are 12 lies that shame likes to tell. The first one, you are dirty. You're dirty. Second lie, you're gross. Third one, you're disgusting. This is the fourth one. This is a really common one in this particular area. You are unworthy. You are unworthy. This is a really common one. I hear this one a lot. This one, you are unlovable. You are not worthy of the love of your spouse, of your friends, of your coworkers. Here, this one. This is another really common one. You are defined... Sorry, wrong order. You are defined by your sin. You know, Jesus didn't define people by their sin. He didn't say, oh yeah, that guy, he's the, he's the Pharisee. You know, he defined people by his own love. And he called them by a different name. And he's, he continues to do that in us. He continues to call us by a different name. We are not defined by our sin. That does not define who you are. Okay? Does somebody need to hear that this morning? I think somebody needs to hear that. You are not your sin. You are not defined by it. Nor are you defined by someone else's sin. You know, you, you can uh, be defined. You can label yourself. If, uh, say, for example, your children are not walking with the Lord. You can, you can believe that lie that says, oh, well, you are a terrible parent. You're a terrible parent. Or if your spouse cheats on you, well, it's because, you know, you weren't good enough. So you're the cast-aside one. Or if you were a victim of molestation or sexual abuse, you can define yourself. That's what shame wants you to do. Shame wants you to call yourself by someone else's sin. You are a victim. Lie. It's a lie. Here's another one. Oh, I wanted to say this. Uh, speaking of parenting, um, Proverbs 29, 15 says, the rod, of reproof, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. See, this is the one where, where um, the, the, the mom never says no to the child, and so then the child ends up bringing shame to the mom, and then the mom takes on that 
title of horrible parent. And the Lord wants to set you free. I, I really believe the Lord has freedom this morning. Amen? Here's another one. You're stuck. You will never be set free. This is another lie that keeps people back because it's the opposite of hope. It's the opposite of the promises of God. You know, like that song we just sang, your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness. And the Lord is saying, his desire is to set you free. You know that scripture in Isaiah 61, that's one of the promises that Jesus came specifically to set the captives free, to release those who are in prison. And the lie that shame wants you to believe is you will never be free. That this is the condition of your life. Whatever it is right now that's holding you back or that's plaguing you, whatever thought is plaguing you, that's the story of your life. These are all lies. These are all lies. Another one. This is another really common one. You can never reveal your secrets. One of the things that shame loves to do is to tell you that you're horrible because of the secret sin that you have. And so like it's a cyclical thing. So you have this secret sin and you're ashamed of it. You feel so much shame about this secret. And so the lie is that shame tells you is, you better not tell anybody because if you do, they will reject you. They will hate you or they will lock you up or whatever it happens to be. This is a lie that shame wants to tell because Jesus is the light. Jesus says, bring it into the light. You know, Satan is a prince of darkness. So whatever we keep in the dark, Satan is the Lord over that. But whatever you bring in the light, it says that you will be set free. It says that if we confess, God, who is faithful and just, will not only forgive us, but he will also deliver us. We're supposed to confess our secret stuff. But the lie that shame tells you is don't. Do not tell anybody this. And I can promise you, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've struggled with that in the past. When I, was, when I first became a Christian, I had done a lot of really shameful things in my life before I became a Christian. And I had so much shame. I just carried around the shame all the time, just replaying these videos of things I had done, things I had said, people I had hurt. And you know what? God's promise is that you will be set free and that a lot of that happens through confession. Okay? Another one. Shame is a really good motivator. This is one, I want to I speak to wives right now. So buckle up, ladies. <laughs> I tried this. I tried using shame as a wife and as a parent. I, used, I tried to use shame to get my husband to change his behavior. And I regret it. There came a point where I realized, whoa, I'm not his mom. Some of you wives, you need to realize you're not your husband's mom. You can't be his disciplinarian. Just learn from my mistakes. 
Shame is not a good motivator. You can't shame someone into changing their behavior. Maybe you can uh, shame them into changing something externally, but ultimately change comes from within. Change comes from a belief system, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But Proverbs 12, 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. I know this is really convicting. And I would say I was sorry if I was, but I'm not. It is convicting, but shame is not a good motivator. Parents, it doesn't motivate. Employees or employers, you know, I talked to a young lady this week and she was telling me, um, she came into this, into a meeting and all her boss did was walked in and said, you guys aren't doing this, you're doing this wrong, you're not doing this, you, you're not doing this. Just, just berating them, just trying to shame them. And I guess, I guess maybe for whatever reason this boss thinks that, that if I tell them all the things they're doing wrong, that's going to really motivate them to change. But ultimately it doesn't. Ultimately, shame does not motivate. Another one, this is another really, really common one. It says, you are unworthy of Jesus' forgiveness. This is the one that says, you know what, you've gone too far. Jesus can forgive a lot of stuff, but he can't forgive that. He can't forgive that thing. And I think, I think a lot of people, we have that one thing that we think, he could forgive me for everything else, but not that. Again, this is a lie. This is the lie that shame wants you to believe. Shame wants you to believe that you've taken it just a little too far and there's no hope for you. And this is a lie. You have not gone beyond the pale of Jesus' forgiveness. The scope of his forgiveness, it says, from east to west. You know there's no beginning or ending point in east and west. There is for north and south, but not for east and west. And it says, he has cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, which means your sins are gone. Your sins are gone, your chains are gone. And then the last one, you are unworthy of Jesus' love. This is the lie <clears throat> shame really wants you to believe. Shame wants you to believe that Jesus can love everyone else and Jesus does love everyone else because he's Jesus. Of course Jesus loves everyone else. But this is the lie that says, not you though. You're the exception. Jesus couldn't love you. This is what shame wants you to believe and it's a lie. So it's going in the trash. So this is what we do. We walk around, go, I'm free. I'm free. What do you mean? What are you talking about? No, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Jesus has forgiven me. I'm free. Don't we? We've got all this stuff here, all these lies in here. Now, I want to talk to you about the difference between shame, guilt, and condemnation. And then, ultimately, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So, um, shame is not guilt. Shame is not the same thing as guilt. There are a lot of differences. And I think, you know, a lot of times we think guilt is a bad thing, but guilt can actually be a good thing. Guilt can actually be a good motivator because guilt separates the action from the person. Shame identifies with 
that negative characteristic. Shame is not guilt. My mom used to always say, um, shame or guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. Isn't that true? Parents, you have guilt, and so you just give your kids stuff, or, or spouses, you know you're not treating your wife right, and so you buy her a gift, try to bribe her that way, instead of just going, you know what, I'm sorry, I've been kind of a jerk lately, you know? There, there, are, there are verses that talk about that, you know, that bri- that's like a bribe. We can talk about that another time. But guilt can be a really healthy thing. Now, here are some differences. Guilt implies you did something bad. Shame makes you see yourself as a bad person. Guilt focuses on behavior. Shame focuses on self. Guilt is behavior-focused. Shame is identity-focused. Guilt is usually tied to an event. I did something bad. Shame is tied to a person. I am bad. I'll just use a really easy example. Lighten the atmosphere a little bit here. Um, Guilt would say, I was speeding. Oh, I'm going to have to change that. I I, I need to stop speeding. Shame says, I was speeding. I'm a terrible driver. I should probably give up my license. (laughs) You know? Shame shame wants you to feel like you're, it's you. It's, It's who you are. Okay? Guilt is the wound. Shame is the scar. Guilt is isolated to the individual, but shame can be contagious. Like I said, you know, in parenting, you can, you can shame your children into, into uh, trying to get them to change their behavior without actually changing their heart, which is really where the behavior lies, where that starts. Um, no one else can share your guilt, but many others can share in your shame. Shame is not condemnation. What condemnation is, is condemnation is from the outside. It's a lie, either coming from someone else or coming from the evil one. And it can come from yourself. But condemnation is an accusing voice that that the enemy uses. How many of you know we have an enemy of our souls? We have an, there is a dark side. There is an enemy. There are demonic forces. There is a devil. And he is out to kill us. He is out to destroy our lives. And so he is the one who is the accuser. He's the one who condemns. He is always speaking condemning thoughts to you. And again, I'm going to say this. I say this a lot, but he uses your voice sometimes. He uses your own voice, so you actually, you believe it. Or he uses the voice of your parents. Or he uses the voice of, of a teacher who at some point told you you were worthless or you were never going to amount to anything. Or You know, how many times have I heard, I, I used to be a professional musician in the Bay Area, and I would meet people all the time. They were professional musicians who would tell me that they had a teacher at some point throughout their life who said, you will never amount to anything as a musician. You are a terrible musician. You know, teachers can do so much damage. Parents can do so much damage. Coaches, you know, and, and sometimes those accusing voices, those condemning voices can come from someone from our past. Um, condemnation is the accusing voice of the enemy telling us how bad we've been and how unworthy we are. But shame is what we do with the condemnation. You can either choose to reject the condemnation, or you can embrace it, which is what shame wants you to do. Shame wants you to own that. I'm going to tell you a story about a lady. Um, I'll put this down now because I know it's probably really distracting. But you get the picture? We walk around with all these lies strapped to us, don't we? Anybody, did, did anybody resonate with any of those lies? 
Here's a, here's a story about a woman. Um, this is in John chapter 8. It says, as Jesus was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But instead, this is so cool, Jesus stooped down and he just started writing. He's writing in the dust with his finger. Who knows what he was writing? You know, scholars have, have argued about maybe he was writing down the names of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, writing down the things that he knew they had done because he knew all things. Or maybe he was writing down this woman's sins so that he could cancel them out. Who knows? Nobody really knows what he was writing, but he just, instead of addressing them, he just stooped down and he started writing in the dust. It says they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, okay. Fine, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. Well, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away, one by one. Isn't that awesome? I mean, Jesus just calls a spade a spade. Jesus just doesn't candy coat it at all. I've told you about my friend. I had a friend who was very prophetic, and she would just say, before she would say something difficult, she'd say, go ahead and candy coat this in your own mind if you need to, but here's the truth. <laughs> it just reminds me of Jesus. Jesus is kind of like, okay, Pharisees, here's the truth. Deal with it. You know, he just told them the truth because Jesus was not about getting down on other people. You know, you think about this. The, the only people that Jesus ever rebuked were people who were religious or who thought they were better than other people because of the things they had done. Those are the only people Jesus got down on. The ones who were already down on themselves, the ones who were already filled with shame, Jesus didn't get down on those. They were the ones he, he spoke to, as is in this case. It says they began to slip away one by one, beginning with the oldest. I guess because the oldest are probably the wisest, and they realize, I'm out of here. I can't stay here because I am going to get totally called out. And so it says, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't, didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, this woman was actually guilty. It says she was caught in the act of adultery. Where was the guy? That's always my question. Where was that? The guy's like, <laughs> I'm out of here, you know? But here they got this woman. They take her. She's, who knows if they caught her in the middle of the act of adultery? Because if that was the case, that would have been highly, highly humiliating for her to be take, dragged out into the city square, you know, probably disheveled and who knows what. But imagine this woman, how much shame she was feeling. She was ashamed because she actually was guilty. She was guilty. But Jesus 
recognized that she was guilty, but he wasn't going to let anybody else beat up on her. He wasn't going to let condemnation beat her up. He wasn't going to let shame destroy her. So he said, I'm not going to condemn you. Now this is Jesus, God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth who came down in human form. And he was hanging out with this woman who was actually guilty. And he said, I don't condemn you. That's our Jesus. Because we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Every single one of us. And what that condemnation wants to do, that condemning voice of the evil one, the condemning voice even of our past or even from within wants to say, you cannot be free of this. You are stuck. You are disgusting. Your sin makes you gross. Your sin disqualifies you. This is what shame wants you to believe. But Jesus wants to say this. I don't condemn you. What Jesus says is, I forgive you. He doesn't say, just go ahead and sin like however you want to. He says, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Condemnation brings guilt and shame, but conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that brings hope. That brings freedom. That brings restoration. And so shame is not conviction. A lot of times people confuse these two. People think that if they feel shame, that that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But this is how you can always tell. This is the litmus test. If you're feeling shame, you're feeling like you can never be set free, like this is too far, Jesus can't love you, you are beyond hope, that is that is shame speaking to you. That is shame lying to you because Jesus is a God of hope. God is a God of hope and hope does not disappoint us. And it says, it says um, in the Bible, it's, it talks about conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads us. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God's kindness. Think about Jesus with this woman. He's saying, hey, nobody's, nobody's condemning you? She says, no. He says, I'm not going to condemn you either. That's the Holy Spirit. That is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says, yes, you have sinned. Yes, you, you are guilty. But there's the hope of freedom. There's the hope of restoration. There's a hope of deliverance. Even if, I want to speak right now to somebody, somebody right here, you are believing, right now, you're believing the lie that says that because you've been in this particular lifestyle or this, this particular sin has plagued you, that there is no hope for you, that you will never get set free. That is shame, my friend. That is shame talking. Because what Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free. Jesus says, it is for this reason that I came, to bring deliverance, to save people from their sins. That's the hope that Jesus offers us. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Not so that we'd stay stuck, not so that we'd be beaten down, not so that we'd have to walk around with this trash, these lies, this belief system. Have you guys ever heard of the iceberg? It's... it's 
I wish I had a picture. I should have gotten a picture of one. But you know, they talk about the tip of the iceberg. So say the iceberg is like this big. I mean, the tip of the iceberg, here's the water level. The tip of the iceberg is here. Then way down below, you know, the iceberg is massive. And, and this is, this, they use this in psychology to explain. So the tip of the iceberg is just our behavior. That's just how we act. But right below the surface there, under the water, just right below there, that's our emotions. Our emotions drive our behaviors, but what drives our emotions is our thoughts, which is right below that. So what we think will drive the way that, that we feel, which drives the way that we act. But even lower than that, at the very bottom of the iceberg, is our belief system. And many of us believe the lies that shame tells us, which causes us to think these things about ourselves and about others, which causes us to feel the certain way, which causes us to behave this way. And Jesus is saying right now, I want to go to the root. I want to go to the bottom of this iceberg, and I want to deliver you from lies. I want to deliver you from the things you're believing. I want to deliver you from the deception of the evil one. I want to deliver you from curses that have been spoken over your life. I want to deliver you from the things that you obsess about in believing. This is why Jesus wants to set you free. He wants you to be free. That is his goal. And if you want to be free, it's a win-win. Amen? It's a win-win. Jesus wants you to be free. And, and I, I want to just say this. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Don't give up. Do not believe that lie at the bottom here that says, you're terrible. You're disgusting. You're gross. You're unlovable. You're unworthy. You're stuck. Don't believe that lie anymore. And this morning, you know, I, I just ask that you would renounce those lies, even in your own heart and your own mind. And we're going to take some time here and we're going to pray. We're going to pray even for one, one another and just renounce. You know, it says in the Bible that we have renounced secret and shameful ways. I just encourage you, if there's some secret and shameful way that you have in your life, get it in, into the light. Don't let the enemy lie to you anymore. Don't believe those lies anymore because Jesus has come to set you free. I promise you. Shame is not conviction. The word conviction, it comes, it, it's a Greek word which means to convince someone of the truth. It says to reprove, to accuse, or to cross-examine a witness. But what the Holy Spirit comes is to convince us of the truth. And the way that Jesus wants to motivate you is he wants to say to you, you know what? You are my child. I love you with an everlasting love. I have called you according to purpose. This is what Jesus wants you to believe. He wants you to believe these things about yourself, not because you deserve it, one of the definitions of the word shame or ashamed is disgrace. Think about that. Disgrace. Jesus is all about grace. He's all about, you don't deserve the forgiveness, but I offer it freely because of my love for you. You know what, you guys? I have been a Christian for over 30 years, and I still, I still don't get it. I mean, I'm grateful for it. 
but I don't get it. I don't understand grace. It's beyond comprehension how he could take such a sinner, such a miserable, rotten, lousy sinner, and save her and turn her life around. Whew. I don't get it. But shame wants to disgrace you. It wants to take that grace away. And like I said, years ago when I first became a Christian, because I had done so many terrible things prior to becoming a believer, I just kept obsessing about those things and believing those things. And I was bound. I was absolutely bound by my shame. Because I could recount all the things just like the devil was doing to me. Oh, remember the time you did this? Remember that? Remember this? You suck. You're terrible. You're horrible. These were the things that I was walking around believing. And when you're really walking around believing that, how free do you think you can be to receive the love that God is longing to pour out on you? And I finally, at one point, I had a revelation. And I share this often because it's so profound to me is that Jesus not only went to the cross for your sin, but for your shame. Jesus came to set you free from your shame. He came to set you free from that belief system that tells you that you can't receive his forgiveness, that you've gone too far, that you're too bad, you're too terrible. This is why he came, is to set us free. But conviction points out, yes, you have sinned in this area. If you ever doubt that you've sinned, read Romans 6, 7, and 8. You know, it says the thing I want to do, I can't do. The thing I don't want to do, I keep doing. You know, it's just like this quandary that, or this, this dilemma that I just, I can't figure out why. I want to honor God. I want to do the right thing, but I keep stumbling. I keep sinning. You see, that's the thing. You know, I, I've heard that we, uh, as Bible-believing Christians, are called gracers. Have you ever heard that term, that we're gracers? That we just believe that, oh, you can do whatever you want, live however you want, and you'll just, God will just forgive you. You could just wait until you're on your deathbed and then you just say, oh God, please forgive me. And then he will. That is not how it works. Because if you really love someone, you're going to want to do things to honor them and to please them and to bless them. And so if you have received the grace of Jesus Christ, if you've received his forgiveness, he's telling you, walk in it. Walk in his grace. Live as though you were children of the king. Walk in freedom. That's what conviction does. Conviction doesn't say, you're horrible, there's no hope for you. Conviction says, you're amazing and God loves you so much. I don't mean to say you're amazing because of what you've done. You're amazing because of who created you. I hope that isn't insulting. <laughs> but you know, Romans 1 says it. You know, there's no one righteous. There's not even one. No one who seeks after God. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own works, so no one can boast. This is saying that the one who draws you, the one who loves you, wants you to walk in truth, to walk in grace. And remember that scripture that says the truth will make you free, the truth will set you free? Again, that word truth says the reality the reality of the situation, that's what will set you free. And that's what conviction does. The Holy Spirit points out to you some area where you've sinned. 
You know, uh, say for example, you're in a conversation with someone and you kind of exaggerate a little bit. Or I'll use a, I'll use a, really, a really recent example. I um, was talking to some people last night and I said something that was kind of ungracious about another person. And I just, I, I just walked away and I just, oh, the Holy Spirit was like, hmm, I wouldn't have said something like that. It wasn't gracious. So this morning I just texted these people that I was talking to and just said, hey, you know, please forgive me for, for what I said. Now I could have just said, oh, I'm a horrible person. I'm a terrible person. There's no hope for me. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit brings you hope because I know that once I confess it, once you get it in the light, then you're free. Then you're cleansed. Then you're free. Conviction is what really reaffirms our identity in Christ. Jesus wants you to believe that you're a holy nation, that you're, that you're a people chosen of God. That's what he wants you to believe. And God exposes your sin not to like slam you or not to shame you, but to change you. That's the reason that, that the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us. Psalm 25, 2 says, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let, let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Treacherous means like uh, untrustworthy or fake or uh, unpredictable or dangerous. You know, the opposites of shame are grace, forgiveness, freedom. And that's what Jesus wants us to walk in. You know, a person who's feeling shame, this is what shame will do to you. Shame will, just as in, remember the story in the, in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve, they sinned, they ate the fruit, and then all of a sudden they're like, ah, oh my goodness, we're naked. It's like nobody told them they were naked. It says at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt what? Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And then, and then he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What shame wants you to do is to hide from God. Shame wants you to go, oh God, I'm not worthy of you. I can't have a quiet time. I did that sin. I can't pray. I can't worship God. I'm guilty. This is what shame lies to you about. It wants you to hide from God. You know, you can be drawn toward the Lord to receive his forgiveness when you're convicted like Peter. Remember the story of Peter? We always like to, you know, think that we're so much better than Peter, but honestly, we're probably all a lot like him. It says, remember, he's the one who's like, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'm your guy. God, I'm your guy. I would never deny you. And then what happens? Jesus tells him, you're going to do it three times. And sure enough, he does. He's like, I don't know him. And they're like, wait a minute. No, we saw you with him. No, I don't know him. They're like, mm, pretty sure you were. And he's like, I don't blankety blink know him. That's actually what he, it says he cursed because he wanted them to see how cool he was. Not really. They wanted him to know. 
that he, no way. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it says, man, this part gets me so much. So right after he denied him, it says that Jesus looked. It says here in Luke 22, 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And here's how he responded. He went out and he wept bitterly. There is an actual conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads us to what's called a godly sorrow. There are two kinds of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and it results in salvation. It results in freedom. It results in deliverance. It says there's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. This is talking about the, if you, you get busted, or, you know, uh, this is a sorrow, oh, you regret what you did, not because you're planning to change, but you simply, you regret it because somebody found out, or because it's going to have some kind of consequence. That is the worldly sorrow that doesn't really care about changing. But godly sorrow, the kind that, God uses to motivate us is the kind that leads us to change, to change our mind, to change the way that we think, to change our belief system at the bottom of this iceberg. That's what God wants to do. So I want to ask you something. What direction do you look when you sin? What direction are you looking? Shame says, because I am flawed, I'm unacceptable. But grace says, though I am flawed, I am still cherished. So if you look toward the cross when you sin, you look toward the cross and you say, Lord, I know that you went to that cross for me. You went to the cross for that sin, for that thing that's plaguing me, that thing that's hidden in the dark, or that thing that I continue to do again and again and again. You went to the cross for that so that I could be free. You can either look to the cross or you can look to yourself and hide yourself and feel shame. Hide yourself from the Lord. Hide yourself from other believers. This is what shame wants to do. It wants to cause disconnection in relationship. Disconnection with the Lord. Disconnection with other people. And the Lord is saying, no, I want to set you free from shame. Instead of your shame, I want to give you a double portion. I want to give you everlasting joy. That's my promise. That's the promise of the Lord. How many of you want that? Can we just applaud the Lord? Because that is his promise. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 71.1 says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. This is where it's saying, instead of hiding from God when you sin, run into his arms. You don't have to have like this waiting period. You know, I used to believe like you had to have like this period of penance or something. You know, like, oh, I can't come into God's presence right now. I've sinned. No, no, no. That's when you should go into God's presence. That's when you need freedom. That's when you need forgiveness. That's when you need healing is when you have sinned. 
not to hide from him, but to run into his arms and say, Daddy, I'm sorry. Change me. Heal me. Set me free. That's his desire. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to run and hide where he's walking in the garden. Adam and Eve, where are you? I just want to have connection with you again. You know, I'm not saying like God's this wimpy God, but his desire is to set you free, to forgive you and to deliver you from all thinking that is not honoring to him from all living that does not bring life. This is his goal. And Romans 10 says, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will, say this with me, not be to shame. Believe in him. Don't put your hope on, on yourself. Don't put your hope in your, own, in your own thoughts, in your own desires, in your own strength, like, oh, I can do this. I can change. No, you can't. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. You are desperate for the Holy Spirit because you can't change yourself. And, and the, as long as you think you can, you are never going to change. You have to surrender fully to him. Surrender fully to the only one who can set you free, the only one who can deliver you with your time, talents, treasures, and even with your belief system is to come before him and say, I completely surrender to you. My life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. And that price is the precious blood of Jesus. And that's why he's saying, you don't have to be bound anymore. You don't have to live in captivity anymore. You don't have to walk in shame. You don't have to carry this around anymore. He's saying, get rid of it. I died for that. Amen? Amen. Amen.